Hello, it's so good to be here again uh, to worship God together, to minister the Word of God. This congregation has been a blessing to us and to all the students at RPTS, uh, so we thank you. I'd like to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 11, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 900. And 33. I'm not sure if you remember, but the last time I was here, I preached on the end of Habakkuk, where there is that beautiful hymn of faith. This time, I wanted to go back to the beginning, because I think you will see that Habakkuk doesn't end where he begins, or he doesn't begin where he ends. He ends with that astonishing expression of faith but he begins right where you or I might begin. Habakkuk was living in an age that had rejected the word of God, and as a result, it was full of evil and injustice. And Habakkuk doesn't understand why the Lord permits this wickedness in Israel and why God doesn't seem to answer his prayers. So Habakkuk brings his complaint before the Lord in verses 1 through 4, and then you'll see that the Lord answers Habakkuk without introduction in verse 5. So hear now the word of the Lord. Habakkuk 1, verse 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. And then the Lord answers, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. This was God's holy and inspired word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have preserved it through the generations and now are giving it to us this day to feed upon. We pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word and now also the preaching of it. Uh, we know that your word will not return to you void, 
So you pray, we pray that you will cause it to do all for which it is intended. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the, the problem of evil is a perennial question for believers and unbelievers alike. And it's so significant that it has uh, its own name. The vindication of God against the problem of evil is called theodicy. And the objection runs something like this. If God were totally good, then he wouldn't want there to be evil. And if God were totally powerful, then he could make it so that there was no evil. But the argument goes that there is evil, and so God must either not be totally good, or he must not be all-powerful. And I want you to feel the weight of this objection, because we all probably have friends or family, unbelievers, that feel this way. You will hear it if you do evangelism on the streets. So how do you answer it? How do you respond when you face evil and suffering? Habakkuk was living in the death throes of the nation of Israel. Israel was materially prosperous, but spiritually and morally bankrupt. And as a result, it was full of violence and wickedness. In Jeremiah, we read that the people worshipped Baal on the high places and on their roofs and sacrificed their children to Molech. In the temple, the priests literally turned their backs on the living God and worshipped the sun in the sky and filled the temple wall with idols. There was no respect for God or for human life. And if you are looking for a comparison to see what it would have been like, you need not look much farther than our own nation. It was an age in which the foundations of society were falling apart. People had rejected God and his law, and the result was rampant wickedness. And Habakkuk saw this wickedness, and he suffered in the midst of it, and he cried out to God as a faithful man. And he begins this oracle by asking God three questions or complaints about the problem of evil. But the amazing thing about the book of Habakkuk that I mentioned last time is that we are given front row seats as Habakkuk wrestles with the problem of evil. And so if you read the whole book, and we, we read the last part last time, he begins with a complaint and the Lord answers him. But Habakkuk is not satisfied with that answer either, and he responds with a second complaint and the Lord answers him. And we see Habakkuk wrestle with this problem of evil and ultimately submit to God's will with that prayer of faith. So Habakkuk begins with three questions and he ends with one of the most beautiful hymns of faith in the entire Bible. So if you look at it that way, the whole book of Habakkuk is a theodicy. It's Habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil. And his answer is summed up in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, which we read from earlier in Hebrews 10. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. The Lord tells Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous will live by his faith. That theme verse is Habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil. So the whole book of Habakkuk is a theodicy a defense of God's goodness and sovereignty in the face of all that's wrong in the world. The righteous must live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering. 
And this is the Lord's message for you today. Live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering for three reasons as we consider each of Habakkuk's questions. First, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is an end, but it is not yet. Habakkuk sees the iniquity of apostate Israel and he, he asks, How long, O Lord? And isn't this the question that we all ask when we go through difficult times, when we struggle under the weight of sin and suffering? How long must I bear this cross? How long will the Lord lead me through this dark valley? How long will my finances be tight? How long will this relationship be broken? How long will I have to struggle with this sin? How long must I pray for the same unanswered prayer? When that happens, what Peter calls this short life, this momentary affliction can seem like an eternity when the Lord seems far off. Or maybe it's that like Habakkuk, we're watching our country fall apart fall farther and farther from God's law, and we are inundated with news stories showing every day the bitter fruits of godlessness. I want you to use your sanctified imagination for a moment. Habakkuk experienced all the same disappointments that we experience. Habakkuk would have walked through the streets back to his home. He would have witnessed the injustice and immorality on the streets and heard the reports of corruption, Habakkuk's experience is very near to our own. And his question, how long, is the age-old question of all those who know that this is not how the world was meant to be, and yet it seems to go on and on. And this question, how long, is a question that God himself first asked in the scripture When Israel sinned in the wilderness, when they broke the Sabbath by trying to collect manna on the day of rest, God asked, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? And later, when the spies feared to enter the promised land, God asked, How long will this people spurn me, and how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? But it's not just a question that God asks. From heaven, it's also a question for believers. Eighteen times in the Psalms, the psalmist asks, How long? And in Romans, we are told that creation itself groans in childbirth, which is its own way of asking how long until the revealing of the sons of God. And in Revelation, we're told that even after the martyrs died and were in the presence of God himself in glory, their souls continued to cry out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Habakkuk probably grew up during the reign of the good king Josiah, where there was a brief period of reform, but unfortunately Josiah's reforms never translated into a godly nation, and after his death, wickedness abounded even more, and now Habakkuk joins creator and creation and creature in crying out, How long? Verse 2, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. 
The word for violence is the same word that was used of the world before the flood in Genesis 6, but now it's God's own people. God's holy people had become as full of violence as the generation of Noah that was destroyed in the flood. Later, Israel had cried out for help from the Egyptians, but now Habakkuk cries out for help not from the Egyptians, but from corrupt and apostate Israel, from a people that were called by God's name. And apparently he had been praying for a long time, but suddenly the Lord answers. And it's meant to be sudden. There's no introduction. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. Live by faith, brothers and sisters, in the midst of sin and suffering because there is an end, but it is not yet. The Lord was not slow in dealing with the sins of Israel. The Lord was not slow in answering Habakkuk's prayers. Suddenly he answers, and eventually sin must be judged. And in the Bible, this day of judgment is called the day of the Lord. And in Scripture, there are multiple days of the Lord. So God's patience waited in the days of Noah, but finally the rain came. Now his patience waited in the days of Habakkuk, but soon after Habakkuk's prophecy, the Babylonian armies would appear on the horizon. But all those days of the Lord are only a preview of the final day of the Lord in which all sin will be finally and fully dealt with. Paul quotes verse 5 of our text in Acts 13 to speak not of the day of the Lord in Habakkuk's time, but of the final day of the Lord. And a day of the Lord, brothers and sisters, is the only ultimate answer to the problem of evil, a day when every wrong will be made right. Whatever your unbelieving friend or family member believes, they really don't have a solution to the problem of evil because they put their hope in more of the same Perhaps different politicians, perhaps better education, perhaps moral advancement, or perhaps moral revolution. And they really think, if you ask them, that somehow society will get it all together. But apart from God, that will only lead to more wickedness. They will never ultimately solve the problem of evil, because the problem of evil is in every human heart. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And a few verses later, he says that according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth. And in the meantime, we must live by faith because the Lord is not slow. By faith, we know that there will be a day when sin and suffering are no more when God will wipe away every tear from your eye, 
So live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there will be an end to it. Praise God for that. Think of all the weight on your shoulders at the end of a stressful day. Can you imagine what a weight will be lifted off your shoulders on that day? And the worry that will be taken from your face when the world will be made new and sin and suffering will be no more and he will wipe every tear from your eye. So God is not slow, yet at the same time God is patient. He was patient in dealing with the sins of Israel. He gave them time to repent. He sent them prophets, rising early and sending them. He did not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when we consider the suffering that goes on in this world, in a sense it is for the sake of God's elect. The Lord is calling a people to himself, and he is willing that the world would groan until that day when all the elect have been gathered in. So Habakkuk's how long is the cry of all those who endure suffering because of God's desire to save sinners. Think of the last hundred years. Think of all the suffering that has gone on all over the globe. Think of everything that's happened. Was it not partly for you, child of God, and for all whom the Lord would call to himself to be with him in glory long after the sin of the world is a distant memory. So live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is an end, but it is not yet. The Lord is not slow, but patient. Second, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully. The second question that Habakkuk asks is why? And this is another question that we all ask when we don't understand God's providences to us. Why me? Why now? Why this? Verse 3, Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. But I want you to notice as you look at God's response starting in verse 5 that the Lord never answers why. His answer comes later in Habakkuk 2.4 that the righteous will live by his faith, but even that is not really an answer. Many people want there to be an argument for the existence of God, but God never proves that he exists. He simply says, in the beginning, God. So too with the fall of Adam and Eve into sin or even before that, to the fall of Satan. God never tells us why Adam and Eve sinned. He doesn't answer that fundamental question that your children would get to if they kept asking you, why, Dad, why? Why is there sin? Why are the righteous persecuted? Well, you could say because Israel rejected the Lord. But why did Israel reject the Lord? Why did a people called by God's name fall into such grievous sin? Why does God permit even Christians to fall into sin? And why does God permit a righteous prophet to suffer along with the wicked? Why do you and I experience so much suffering? We must live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully. In fact, the Lord seems to make the problem of evil even worse 
Habakkuk complains that God caused him to look on iniquity and wickedness, and now a wicked nation is coming. He complained about destruction and violence, and now destruction and violence are coming. And the Babylonians, they don't look to God for judgment, but as verse 7 says, their justice and authority originate with themselves. But the fact is that it is the Lord who is raising up the Chaldeans to carry out his purposes. And that shows us that the Lord can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He can carry out his purposes even with a sinful nation. He will cause even the wrath of man to praise him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's ways are higher than your ways. He has a plan that you can't fully understand now. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, and if you believe he is wise, you will not so easily try to be his counselor. We can't say why God allows particular trials and sufferings, and we can never look at a tragic accident or a senseless evil and say that it was good because God will bring good out of it. But one day we will see more clearly, and the righteous wait for that day with faith, and they trust for it even now. So live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully. Third, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is justice, but it is not yet complete. Look at Habakkuk's final complaint in verse 4. He says, therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. This is not so much a question as an observation or a complaint. David, when he had reigned, administered justice and righteousness for all his people. But now Israel had abandoned the word of God and there was no longer any justice And the more the culture moved away from the word of God, the more the righteous stood out. And the more the righteous called Israel back to the word of God, the more they were persecuted and derided. And I wonder again if you hear me describing our culture. Because our culture has rejected God's law and there's more and more injustice. Biblical morality has been jettisoned, the created order is being demolished, created distinctions are being erased, and justice is being redefined into a poor facsimile of biblical justice. And the more the culture moves away from the word of God, the more the righteous stand out, and the more the righteous call our culture back to the word of God, the more they are persecuted and derided, just as Christ said it would be. But the Lord's answer is that there is injustice, there is justice, but it is not the kind of justice that Habakkuk was expecting. So live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is justice, but it is not yet complete. Look again at the Lord's answer. Israel broke the covenant and received the covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28. So listen to the Lord's curses for covenant disobedience from Deuteronomy 28. He says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand. And doesn't Habakkuk speak of an army of horsemen like an eagle 
swooping down to devour in Habakkuk 1.8. And the next verse in Deuteronomy 28 speaks of a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. And is that not fulfilled in the fierce and impetuous people of Habakkuk 1.6? And a few verses later in Deuteronomy 28.52, the Lord says that the nation that would come against them, would besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And now we read of the Chaldeans who laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Friends, Habakkuk's complaint is that the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. True, the law was ignored in Israel, but that did not mean that the law was therefore powerless. God was watching over his word to perform it. The covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28 were fulfilled against apostate Israel by the Chaldeans. The Lord executes judgment in the ordinary means of grace ministry of the word and in his works of providence. And doesn't it seem like the Lord has been executing a kind of judgment on the world these past two years? And God's judgment was just. Israel was filled with violence, and now they would be the recipients of violence. Israel was supposed to possess the land of Canaan and receive dwellings that were not theirs, and now the Chaldeans do the same to them in verse 6. Israel was supposed to be like the sand of the sea, but now the Chaldeans heap up captives like sand in verse 9. And even after there was justice in Israel, there would also be justice against Babylon, verse 11 of our text. But they, that is Babylon, will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. So we saw how we are to live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is an end to sin and suffering, but it is not yet. And there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully. And there is justice, but it is not yet complete what about Habakkuk? So far the Lord has answered Habakkuk, but Habakkuk is still going to be swept away by the Chaldeans along with apostate Israel. He's about to be swept away in the deluge of judgment that is coming against the violent. And unlike Noah, he has no ark to protect him except the ark of his faith. So what good is it for us to know that there will be an end to sin and suffering or that there is a why to sin and suffering, or that there is a form of judgment of justice in the midst of sin and suffering. Well, as we conclude, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because Christ has redeemed your sin and suffering on the cross. I want you to see that Habakkuk is a type of Christ. Habakkuk suffers as a righteous man swept up in the punishment of the wicked to point us to the Christ who would suffer on behalf of sinners like you and me because all sin is sin against God first and foremost and all evil is more heinous to him than you or I will ever understand. But it's not just, friends, that God asks how long from heaven. No, God enters into this world of sin and misery so that Jesus can ask all the questions 
that Habakkuk asks. Jesus asks, how long? As he deals with the same sinful nation in Matthew 17. On the cross, he cries out for help and receives no answer. He cries out violence and God doesn't seem to save. And he asks, why from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As destruction and violence are before him. And it seemed, didn't it, as if the law was ignored and justice was never upheld as the wicked surrounded the righteous one on the cross and justice seemed to come out perverted. But on the cross, Christ was bearing the true spiritual curses for your covenant breaking. He was enduring the day of the Lord on your behalf so that if we believe in him, his death becomes our death, his righteousness becomes our righteousness, so that we have passed from death to life and there is no longer a judgment for our sins. Then when the judgment is gone, the day of the Lord will be for us a day of rejoicing and worshiping, even as this Lord's day and every Lord's day is but a dim picture. The how long the why and the cries of injustice will be over. So we talked about theodicy, the vindication of God against the problem of evil. Habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil is to live by faith, but only because Jesus' answer to the problem of evil is coming, because Jesus is God's final vindication of his character against the problem of evil. Jesus is the ultimate theodicy. In Christ, we see the most evil act of history becoming the greatest expression of love for sinners and the source of every spiritual blessing that we enjoy. In Christ, we see God's justice and his mercy vindicated. In Christ, we see fallen man raised to an even higher position than Adam had in the garden. But there's more than that because God in Christ has entered into our suffering and suffering is now holy ground. And now as we suffer, we are filling up the sufferings of Christ. We are united to Christ by faith and he in a mysterious way is afflicted with us in all our affliction. And now brothers and sisters, God is using your suffering to conform you into the image of Christ. So every day that you ask how long and why, and every day that you are perhaps tormented in your soul like Lot because of the, of the wickedness that surrounds you and the wickedness that resides in you, every day that you endure sin and suffering, you are becoming more like your Savior and more able to understand his suffering on your behalf as he is also able to understand yours. And you are becoming more heavenly-minded and less attached to the world. And every day that you submit to him and entrust judgment to the Father and love your enemies and lean more fully on Christ and on his righteousness, every day that you do that, you understand the gospel more clearly and count Christ more precious. Again and again, the Bible says that the purpose of suffering is for your good. Do you value Christ-likeness enough to embrace the suffering that God in his infinite wisdom has given you? The end might not be yet, 
the why might not be fully understood and there will still be injustice, but by faith will you be satisfied with Habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil? And will you trust in the Lord in the midst of sin and suffering so that you can even praise him like Habakkuk did by the end of the book? I know we already read Habakkuk 3 together in November, but I want to uh, go to it again to remind you again what it looks like to face sin and suffering by faith even when your circumstances don't change. So flip ahead a few pages to chapter 3, verse 17 and see the remarkable climax of faith. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, the Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet and makes me walk on my high places. We still live in a world of suffering, and we long to be with Christ. But until he comes or until he calls us, let us live by faith because we worship a God who understands everything that Habakkuk went through and everything that we are going through. And he has redeemed even our suffering. And one day he will make all things new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you meet us where we are in the questions of life and the sin and suffering and the sorrows that you understand our affliction and that you have entered into this world in Christ to bear the sin and suffering that was meant for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have taken away the sting of sin and suffering and the sting of death and that all that remains in these are blessings that you promised to work all things together for good. Father, it is hard for us to believe that. We pray that you would send your comforter to be with us during those times when we are discouraged, when we are suffering. Help us as the body of Christ to comfort one another with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. And so, Lord, use all that we go through in your wisdom to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.